This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com. We also want to thank Harry's for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to harrys.com. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Well, hello, Allison. Hello. In this week's episode, we're joined again by Nathan Hamilton with tips on how to get the best mortgage. We'll also answer your question about the Schiller ratio. Current levels troubling, am I right? Mm -hmm. And see how you compare to the average homeowner. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers, Answers, and today's question comes from Carl. He writes, Does the Schiller Ratio's current level give you concern, given the precedent set in 1929 and 2000? There's there's a lot that I need you to back up and explain. (laughs) Okay, well, let's start with talking about Schiller, and that is Robert Schiller. He's a Yale economist and a Nobel Prize winner. I think most people became familiar with Schiller based on his book in 2000 called Irrational Exuberance. Uh, it's actually a phrase that came from an Alan Greenspan speech in 1996. Greenspan says he came up with it while taking a bath, which is when he wrote most of his speeches. Um, and there was some question about whether Alan Greenspan came up with that term or Robert Schiller did, because Schiller... I was going to say you shouldn't name your book after something that someone else coined in the bath. Well, so <laughs> I think that's <laughs> so Schiller and, and Greenspan actually had lunch like the day of the speech, so there was some question about it. Um, Greenspan mentions it in the speech. It's on like page 14 of the speech, and then markets around the world decline two to three percent based on him asking whether markets have become mm. irrationally exuberant. So people asked actually Schiller, like, did you actually come up with it? And he says, no, Greenspan came up with it. But Schiller did write an article where he searched like other uses of the terms. He actually found out that the, the words irrational exuberance were in a 1989 novel uh, by Amanda Cross. The name of the novel? A Trap for Fools. Huh? What a coincidence is that? Anyway, so it comes out in March of 2000, and he claims that the stock market is overvalued. Well, if you remember your history, that's exactly when the stock market peaked. We had the dot-com crash. One of the arguments for why the market was overvalued, used by Schiller in the book, was a P.E. ratio, but not the typical P.E. ratio. The typical P.E. ratio is the price divided by the previous year's earnings. It can be the price of an individual stock or the overall stock market. He actually borrowed an idea that was first put forth by Graham and Dodd in their book, Security Analysis from 1934, and that instead of using one year's earnings, use the average of 10 years' earnings adjusted for inflation, because that sort of takes out the volatility of year-to-year earnings, factors in like the cyclicality of the business cycle and things like that. It's come to be known as the cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio, or the CAPE. That term actually didn't wasn't in the first two editions of Schiller's book. In the third edition, he said, "Okay, everyone's using it. I'm going to use it." But it's also called the PE10, or the Schiller Cape, or the Schiller Ratio, as Carl used in his question. Ah. Point being, Schiller established and has been shown by other studies that valuation is a good indicator of future long-term returns. We're talking like a decade. So if you look back at history, you look at like the best 10-year returns for stocks. They started when the market was undervalued. You look at the worst 10-year returns for stocks, they started when the market was overvalued. Hmm. So, where are we now? Well, the CAPE, or the Schiller Ratio, 
at long-term average around 16, 17. Right now, we're at over 29. Hmm. There have only been two periods when it's been higher, before the Great Depression and before the dot-com crash, which is what Carl is referring to in his question. 2000. Right, okay. exactly. So, to answer your question, am I concerned? Yes. Oh. What am I doing about it? Not much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Valuation is a fine long-term indicator of future returns. It has nothing to help you in terms of timing the market and what the market is going to do over the next year or two. Coincidentally, right now we're at the time of year when Berkshire Hathaway has its annual meeting. Just watched an interview with Warren Buffett. He was asked, what's the biggest mistake investors make? He said, trying to time the market. And I figured, well, if the greatest investor of all time says trying to time the market is a bad idea, I figure it's probably a pretty bad idea. So, that said, in my situation, what I do think, uh, when I look at like my own retirement plan, and just last week I went through all my favorite retirement calculators again. As you do. As I do. As one does, just for fun. And I don't assume the market's going to return 10% a year. I assume I'm going to earn 4 to 6%. Now, when I look at my kids' college savings accounts, and I have two kids in high school, I'm going to need that money in the next few years, most of that is not in the stock market. And I think that's what people should do for any money you need in the next few years, whether it's college, a house, you're retired, you're going to retire soon. Take some of that out of the stock market. I am concerned about what an overvalued market means for people psychologically. If you're counting on great returns for you to be able to retire or to pay your bills in retirement, you're going to be disappointed. And so, to be quite honest, that's one of my biggest concerns. I just hope people are going to be okay. So, I think the best advice I can give to people is just know that the market is not going to be as generous as it's been in the past. That might mean you have to save a little more, spend a little less, maybe retire a little later. But as long as you factor all that into things, below average returns or even a stock market crash, which will come eventually, you'll be okay. There you go. Bro guarantees it. You're going to be okay. (laughs) You're going to be okay. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from, you guessed it, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. And it's purely a coincidence today that we're talking about how to get the best mortgage on today's show, I swear. (laughs) It really was a coincidence. It was a coincidence. With Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. You can adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number, bro. I'll leave it up to you. 30-30. I have literally read this copy was or that a you? variation that of it. That was you reading that? Oh, okay. You don't listen to me. <laughs> Yet again, I have said, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number, 30-30, probably 50 times. Let's move on. Our house is the most expensive thing we'll ever buy, so you might as well try to save as much money as possible in the process. Motley Fool analyst Nathan Hamilton is back with four ways that you can cut the cost of your mortgage, whether you're buying a brand new spanking house, brand spanking house. (laughs) Spanking house is a little different. (laughs) Party at Allison's. Okay. So, (laughs) whatever you do in your house, whether it's a new one or you're refinancing, Nathan's here to help. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. 
Absolutely. How are you? I'm good. So first, Nathan, why don't you start with some compelling math for us about yeah. a mortgage? So when you look at an actual mortgage rate difference, so say you can improve your FICO score or get your financial house in order to get a lower rate, it seems like a small amount. So say 20.25%, quarter of a percentage point. Doesn't sound like anything, but when you look at the difference, say one and a half percentage points, or even these small interest rate differences, that can be for average new home is about $32,400 over the lifetime of that mortgage. So I don't know um, about you, but if you look at average household income, it's around $50,000. So if you work that math out, you're saying essentially you're spending six to seven months of your year just paying, just losing to the mortgage rates. Yeah, that you could have by reducing your mortgage costs. All right, so what's the first thing that people can do to cut their mortgage cost? Yeah, so there's a high correlation between mortgage rates and your credit score. And we, we've always harped on it before, but credit scores are definitely important when you're borrowing money, be it credit cards, mortgages, auto loans, student loans, anything. It's going to improve your chance of getting a low mortgage rate. To get the best rates, you're going to need to be above 760 with your FICO score. That puts you in excellent credit score territory. Lender's going to look at you and say, "Okay, they're a good lender, lower risk. I'm going to offer a lower rate." So, is there would there be a difference though? Let's say to go from 760 to 800, or is it once you're over 760, it's like, "Yeah, you're all good." No, there's definitely a benefit. So, if you get up into the perfect credit score category of 850, sure, you're obviously going to receive some advantages. But to be in that upper tier, maybe call it the 10th percentile of uh, best mortgage rates, yeah, definitely need to be above 760. We covered this in a whole episode in terms of how to manage your credit score, but very quickly, just give a few pointers on, as a reminder for people on how to improve their credit score. Yeah. So, pay on time. That's the easiest and most, the biggest impact that you can make to your score. Keeping your credit utilization low, which is a matter of borrowing less than what you have available, keep that in check. And the second part, a mix of other factors, but it's average account age, also new inquiries on your account, so keep those to a minimum if possible. Um, All those factors play into it. How long does that take? So, let's say I'm thinking of buying a house. At what point should I be thinking, like, okay, i got to buckle down and improve my FICO score? Or if I'm buying a house next month, is it too late? I I would actually say 12 months before you're looking at um, getting a new home. Because if you look at how the data on your credit report actually plays into FICO scoring models, there are some data points that actually roll off after 12 months. So, to really put yourself in the best situation, give it some time. Give it a year. Yep. All right. And the number two way that you can cut your mortgage costs is? Borrow less. Oh, but I want a really big, massive It's so boring. (laughs) So boring. But here's, here's why it makes sense. So, it's really twofold when you look at it. So, if you get a jumbo loan, which in many states is considered over $417,000, you're paying a higher mortgage rate compared to somebody similar financials that's getting a smaller mortgage loan. So, if you if you are able to get a mortgage below that number, sure, it improves your chances of having a lower mortgage rate. Is that true? Even in a place like Northern Virginia, DMV area, well, where you yeah, can't there, find there are, a house for less than... We're in one of those special places yeah, where the, the limit is actually 625. Oh, yep. well, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> We shouldn't have told her that. (laughs) (laughs) Please, as if I can find a house in Old Town for $625,000. No. No. No, even that. You you needed to say a a million, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so what's a general guide for how much I should borrow? 
So a lot of people out there will say different numbers. A bank will say they'll loan you up to 43% debt to income. And, and for contacts, that means your monthly debt payment versus your top line income, very top of your paycheck. What are you bringing in before tax? And a bank will lend you up to 43%. And we would say, no way. That's, that's yeah, far too high. Terrifying. It's crazy yes. if you work through the numbers. And yeah. it, it's amazing to me that banks even get away with it. So looking at it, what are your all-in costs and what number should you be at? Generally, 30 to 35% is going to be a better number to aim for. That gives you the chance to invest for your child's tuition, your retirement goals, anything. But I would also add in to kind of put the, the hurdle a bit higher is, okay, HOA fees, utilities, all of those homeowner expenses, yeah. and work it into that single number. Mm. Uh, yeah, I remember when we got our f- approved for our first mortgage, we were just blown away by how much they approved us for. Like yeah, we wanted same. to go back, we wanted to call up the bank and be like, "You're the reason we had a housing crisis." <laughs> yeah, and this is this is what I'm looking at right here, yep. and we will not be a part of the problem. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> but those lending standards are still in place. Banks will still shell out a bunch of money. Ugh, and, and if you're, over if what you're many brave enough to take it, I guess. Yep. Huh? All right, number three, the third way that you can cut your mortgage costs. Increase your down payment. So, if you are putting a down payment less than 20%, you're going to pay what's called private mortgage insurance, PMI. And this can add anywhere from half a percent to a full percentage point of your mortgage loan each year. Mm. So, looking at it, I don't know the numbers behind it, but how many people actually put down 20%? I would say it's actually probably a pretty small percentage of people. But if you do have the ability to put down that larger down payment, which comes into borrowing less yeah. to use to buy a more yeah. affordable home, it can make sense because for a larger home purchase, that's a few hundred dollars a month in PMI. All right. And the final way that you can cut mortgage costs is rate shop. So rate shopping makes sense and here's what it is. Is when you're getting a new mortgage, be it refinancing or buying a new home, it's going to a number of providers out there and essentially making them battle over you. Essentially, they covet you, so you want to be the the prize that they're going after. (laughs) And the best way to do that is essentially pit them against each other. So, a good thing to do is, when you are rate shopping, rate shop within a few week to a month period. That way, there are fewer inquiries on your credit score, and credit scoring models will actually treat that as one inquiry if it's within that finite period of time. So, definitely do that. And with each lender, Get that quote in writing because you can take that piece of paper, go to the next guy or girl, and say, "Okay, here's what they're offering me. Here are the fees. Can you beat that?" That's. Have you done that? Did you guys do that when you buy your house? You went around. You're like, "This is what they said." I have. Yeah. 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 And and were they were they astonished that you were trying to like? Most people don't play like that. Yeah. Most people don't do it when it comes down to it because if you look at a mortgage, it's a pain in the butt, really, with all the paperwork you have to put together. So going into it. You kind of have to get in the right mindset and know, and know, okay, this is going to be a slog going through all of this. But if you look at getting a small interest rate haircut over the life of a 30-year a thirty-year mortgage loan, it makes sense to put in that time. So did it work when you went back to them and said, beat this? Yeah. Really? They, they, they have a little bit. I mean, the, the base rate on a 30-year mortgage for someone in your situation is going to be the same no matter who you're getting it from generally. The, the mortgage broker, whoever's providing, has some wiggle room there, and they can lower fees or increase fees or play with the rate a little bit. It's going to mean they're going to earn less money, 
but they do mm. have that wiggle room. And if they're hungry for the business, they'll do it. Oh, we're totally going to do that. And if you look at it, too, um, mortgage rates have been increasing over the past few months. And depending upon the time frame you look at, mortgage applications are down. I don't know if that means that right now banks aren't getting the business that they should be, but maybe they're more willing to, to compete if business isn't as good as what it was a couple of months ago. Can I offer a bonus tip? Sure. So, when you're going to get your mortgage, they're going to also include title insurance. Oh, yeah. Which is crucial. You do want title insurance. But what many folks will do is give you the, like the gold plated insurance, and you just need the basic one. Sure. The mortgage broker is also getting a commission, or the title company is getting a commission on that. So, you look at all these expenses and you say, listen, I don't want this one. Give me the cheaper one, and you'll save a few hundred dollars. Yeah, title insurance is one of those things where Ron is always, my husband is always like, "Why are we paying this?" Because the previous person who it? bought the house had to buy the title insurance yeah. too, and the person before that who bought the house had to buy the title. It's fully insured. The title has been insured. Over it is and over one again. of the most profitable forms of insurance yep. for the insurance company. Other things you can possibly do is get go to the person who owns the house that you're buying it from, mm-hmm. go to the original insurance company, and mm. get the policy from them, and they might give you a discount. Wow. That sounds yeah. like work. Actually, to, to add another like one, yeah. another one is getting a survey. So, we did that on our current house. We just got the original, we got the original survey, had them certify that they did not make any changes to the house, and that way we saved, well, whatever, 500, 600 bucks for getting a new survey, and the nice. mortgage, mortgage company accepted it. All right. So, bottom line, though, yeah, title insurance. Just don't get the gold-plated version. Exactly. Yeah, you definitely need it. All right. I'll tell Ron that. He's not going to be happy to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Nathan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming back. And for our listeners, if you want to learn more about getting a beautiful deal on a mortgage, you can head to Motley Fool's Mortgage Center at www.fool.com slash mortgages. You can compare rates and download our free guide. It's called 11 Mortgage Essentials Demystified. Nathan, thanks again for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks to Harry's for sponsoring today's episode. You're an Answers listener, so I know you like to save money. Listen up, because for decades, one big razor company, not going to name names, has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. So, a couple of guys were fed up with getting ripped off, and they started Harry's. They bought their own blade factory, which is kind of crazy, but okay. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And by taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. But the best part, I think, is that they deliver right to your door, which... Convenience for me is all that matters. But enough about price and convenience. Bro, how was the shave? Oh, I liked it. And and so I generally do not use a blade, I use an electric razor. But I liked it because, first of all, it was a close shave. I didn't cut myself, which is important. That's good. And more importantly, the wife was very impressed. Ah. There you go. (laughs) The ultimate seal of approval. Harry's is so confident you will love their blades. They're giving you their free trial set for just the cost of shipping. So, it's pretty much free, $3 to cover shipping. To get your trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, you can go to harrys.com slash fool. That's harrys.com slash fool. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, and you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Hey, you want to have some fun with some stats? Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Stats are fun. How do you 
compared to the average homeowner. So surprisingly, it's well, it was surprising to me, but then when I thought about it a little longer, it's actually not surprising that it's hard to find stats about the average home and the average homeowner. Yeah, because uh, we're all so varied and motley in well, this great country of ours. Well, and real estate is so varied and motley. I heard something just the other day. Right now, home prices are about getting back to where they were at the peak of 2006, That's one of my, 2007. That's one of my stats. Oh, okay. Give it away. All right, all right. All right. I keep talking. No, keep talking. You've already ruined it. But Go ahead. So, but something like the majority, if you look at it from a house to house level, majority of houses have not gotten to that point. So when you look at an overall index, yes. So I guess we should start with that stat. Okay. Sorry about that. No, that's no, okay. that would be fascinating. Okay. <laughs> hey, here's something that's gonna surprise you. Okay. So and this is this is also you find conflicting data, but well, you know whatever. Okay, so homeowners gained a full forty four thousand dollars in equity since their purchase. That's according to the two thousand seventeen U.S. Home Report sales report from ATTOM Data Solutions, a fused property database, whatever that means. This increase represents a twenty four percent return on their purchase price, and it's the highest average price gain for home sellers in terms of dollars and percent returns since the third quarter of two thousand seven. So that makes it sound like on average. We're doing great. But to your point, well, let's look at the median as opposed mm-hmm. to the average. Research from Trulia says that the median home values are still seventy eight thousand below their peak their pre recession peak. Yeah. So cities like Denver and San Francisco experienced a massive recovery. Whereas Can cities, I guess? What? And the cities that haven't? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Las Vegas and Tucson. Did you read this? No. Well, I don't, maybe we heard the same report, but I just know Las Vegas. I had a sister who lived out there. Real. Oh, it's still brutal out yeah. there. So and Tucson. Yes. So the cities like Las Vegas and Tucson, less than five percent of home values have made a full recovery to pre-recession peaks. So it really matters more what city. It's dependent on city to city. So. Let's move on to another stat, shall we? Let's do it. According to the Census Bureau, in 2015, the average size of new houses built in the U.S. increased to an all-time high of 2,687 square feet. This is from the average size of 1,600 square feet in 1973. So our houses are getting <laughs> massive. And how America, many square... Americans are getting bigger. We need bigger houses. Well, you live in a massive house, I Robert Brophy. Yes, ma- you do. Ro- Rick, how many square feet is your house? About 1,700. 1,700? Our house is literally like 900 square feet. As you can see, we need a bigger house. The (laughs) Southwicks need a bigger house if we're going to get... You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, I would like more than a thousand square feet. You would like more than one Should bathroom. Should I aspire to that? Yeah, that's fine. I would like more than one bathroom. According to the National Association of Realtors, the U.S. existing home median sales price in March of 2017 was $236,000. Hmm. Which I remember when I was a kid, the idea of living in a house that cost more than a hundred thousand dollars was like, wow. Well, yeah. What's the me- what's the median price of a house where you grew up in Idaho? Did you have to use it in that kind of tone? Well, no, I, I didn't. You heard that, right? Didn't, didn't you? <laughs> in Idaho. I, I'm just saying this. I have been to Idaho once, and it was gorgeous. Thank Absolutely you. Absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to put a gratuitous bleep in front of Idaho. You could you you could hear you could hear the disgust in his voice. You could hear it. All right. 
All right, let's talk about average monthly expenditures. Jordan Wathen over at Fool.com, maybe you've heard of it, it's a website, turned to the most recent data from the Census Bureau. Again, this is, this is 2015 is our most recent data, and their American Community Survey, to find that the median monthly cost of owning and living in a mortgaged home, so this is including mortgage payments, insurance, and utilities, was about $1,500 a month. Hmm. That's much lower than what we see around here in yes, Washington, sure D.C. area. All right. Do you want to guess how many items are in the average American home? What's an item? Like, uh, Everything from paper clips to ironing boards. Oh, my goodness gracious. 15,000. 300,000 oh, items are in gracious. the average American home. Uh, this is according to <laughs> professional organizer Regina that? Clark. I don't know. This may be some squishy science here. U.S. children make up 3.7% of children on the planet, but they have 47% of all the toys in children's books. <laughs> are children items? When you count the items in your house, are those are they items? Yeah, no. Oh, okay. But their things are. They have like a million things. All right, now let's talk about bugs. North Carolina State University did a survey of 50 homes. They found, on average, that the houses had 10,000 bugs in them. Ugh. Most are not pests. Most were found everywhere, and yet were so obscure that only keen naturalists know about them. So don't worry, you probably don't have a massive tarantula living behind your couch. Uh, you have bugs like the common book lice springtails, and carpet beetle larvae, which are just a millimeter long. So, you know, you don't even know they're there. Uh-huh. But they're there. You hardly even taste them. <laughs> but you do Good taste them, protein. by the way. Anyway, so that's fun. Enjoy that. Did you ever hear that your mattress gains weight over time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, bugs and you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Keep that in mind when you go to bed tonight, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's the show. <laughs> I want to thank uh, Nathan, of course, for joining us to talk about mortgages. And I also want to thank Nick, who brought postcards and chocolate to Full HQ this week, all the way from Belgrade. Nice. I got to tell him all about my Serbian roommate in college and uh, how she hated me. I haven't been able to talk about her in a really long time. How is it possible anyone could hate you? Oh, that's sweet. You're just trying to make up for that Idaho crack, uh, aren't no, you? No, not really. Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> also, thanks to Scott, who's sending us postcards from his road trip around the U.S. We have the best listeners. The show is edited... Infestingly? Infesting. <laughs> that's not even a word, but whatever. By Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.